1: back everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 249 we have a returning guest just with us last week gonna talk some recent news and a fun little thing that he was dm'd me about and i think it's a actually awesome idea to kind of talk about round by round values to target you can find him on twitter at draft cheat pete how we doing man
2: I'm good. I'm excited for this pod. A little bit of a different approach today. You know, you hear uh, so many people kind of talk about projections, whether, you know, their preferred projection system, whether that be schema or the bat or ATC, whatever it may be. And I think a lot of people kind of do draft based off those projections. And I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with that. But the idea kind of behind the subject matter for this pod is, you know, the dreaming of upside. The We're going to go through kind of the who we identify as maybe like the highest upside picks in each round. And you wouldn't want to fill your team with these guys, right? Like a lot of times mm-hmm. these high upside guys are, you know, sliding down draft boards a little bit because they also bring a lot of risk, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if the upside was for sure going to happen, obviously they would be drafting higher than they they are right now. So yeah, we'll talk about kind of the, the risk reward of some of these players You know, not all the players I'm going to bring up are even players that I'm necessarily targeting a ton. Um, But every player that we talk about does have a a substantial upside. And, you know, if you're talking about, like, the NFBC, where there is a, you know, a large uh, overall prize, you know, it's kind of top-heavy to some extent, I do think there's a case to be made for drafting more upside than most people typically do.
1: (laughs) No, it's 100%. I think this brings into – Part of our discussion from last week, you know, us being DFS players and uh, season long, it's kind of the GPP mentality. Okay, let's take these guys in a great matchup, a great situation that we know like their 90th percentile outcome could be just huge compared to the rest of the guys yeah. in their price range, per se. So it, it just goes to, to kind of take that mentality. And it's an online thing. I've talked to a lot of guys about you're you're doing that with the, uh, the overalls that um, – you know, some guys you'll see, some of these guys that have been in forever, they'll go super like high risk, high uh high reward type stuff. Other guys want to sprinkle in like three or four of them. So, like you said, we're just gonna kind of point out we might have some of the same ones that in each round that might give us there. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But with you know, teams all in camp now, game starting up shortly, there's a lot of news that comes out in the springtime. Some of it's just kind of garbage. I was telling someone, you know, they could stub their toe and want to go play three rounds of golf for the next three days, so they're not going to play baseball. But there's other stuff that's a little more serious. Uh, we won't get to Luis Severino's yet, because I want to kind of get more of what that is, but regardless, does not sound good. Uh, Cookie Carrasco's hurt, all that good stuff. But some news we've heard managers talk about um, in Washington. Trey Turner, he's even said Davey, uh, Dave Martinez has talked to him that he might bat third this year, which is interesting, which could lead to Victor Robles batting leadoff. I'm a big fan of Victor Robles hitting leadoffs. So I love his speed upside. It'll affect Trey Turner's run production. How do you look at that situation in Washington?
2: Yeah, I've been kind of out on Victor Robles so far, uh, in part due to him, you know, possibly hitting eighth in the National League, which is never a spot where I really want to target hitters. But you know, if this comes to fruition, uh, we've obviously got spring training coming up here just in a couple of days, and we'll kind of see, right, where they where the Nationals want to. Uh, how they want to align their lineup, a, a, a move to lead off for Victor Robles would certainly greatly increase my interest in him, right? Like obviously uh, the runs, the steals, the plate appearances, all that stuff would go up. It would also signal that the nationals have faith in him as a hitter, you know, that they think he can improve uh, based on last year. So yeah, that would uh, certainly bump my interest in, in Victor Robles considerably. I would probably try to get some shares with him going forward. Uh, Trey Turner, I think a little bit of a bump for him, right? I think people Mm – I've heard some people um, talk about, you know, would the steals go down? I I think that's a fair concern for most players, you know, moving from leadoff to third. Trey Turner's still going to run, right? That's one of his main skills. I I wouldn't be too concerned about the steals being reduced for Trey Turner moving from the leadoff spot to third.
1: I'm 100% with you. I I think it actually benefits Trey because I've always been a believer that Trey has way more power than people give him credit for. He's no means like a 35 home run guy, but I think he's 20 to 25. Like, I've believed that about him for a long time. He's a good average guy. He's still going to score runs, maybe not as many. I think the biggest hit he'll take is runs, but he's still going to be fine. Juan Soto hitting behind him is not going to hurt him. He's going to run wild. Instead of, maybe instead of 40 steals, he gets 35. Like, he's going to be okay, I think. To me, like what you said, it, it's the Victor Robles thing. I'm a big fan of getting him in that position now is a game changer for him at that spot.
2: Yeah, I think the uh, the bump in RBIs for Trey Turner would more than offset the you know the slight runs. decrease in runs and maybe a couple fewer steals. But uh, overall, I think a, a good move for Trey Turner. Not you know it's- he's not going to move up my, move up or down my board really based on that information. But I do think a slight bump for him. Mm.
1: And I know we might talk about this when we um, talk about the. The dreaming of a uh, upside situation, but just for fun, you mentioned it might not, you're not going to move them up your board. You know, like Story, and uh, Turner are all going in the first round there. Do you have a preference on the three?
2: They're all just neck and neck in terms of yeah, the overall I value for me. I, I'm getting the most Trevor Story. I guess he's my preference between the three, but man, uh, super close. I really don't have any sort of hot take between those three guys.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. You can't really go wrong with any of them. Yeah. Um, Let's go to the Cubs here. This one's interesting to me. From a baseball standpoint, Chris Bryant leading off makes so much sense. He's an OBP machine. He's going to score runs. Doesn't run a lot, but, you know, just overall getting on base, setting the table for Rizzo, Baez, uh, roster resource, I Schwarber hitting cleanup in this scenario, and I love that most out of this whole thing. How do you – say we do go in with Chris Bryant leading off and, you know, Rizzo, Baez, Schwarber, how does that make you uh, as a fantasy drafter feel?
2: Yeah. I don't know. I've been, I don't have any Chris Bryant yet. Uh, I just, he, he just doesn't do enough for me where he's going, even though he's, you know, he's fallen certainly from where we saw him going, especially a couple of years ago. Um, but I just not excited about his profile. I don't you know, think he's a, a bad player or a bad pick, but just not a guy I've been going after. And I don't think this would change that really for me, you know, a few more plate appearances though, is always good, but a decrease in RBIs, which is somewhere where he's not super strong anyway. Um, just because he's obviously like super patient and and all that, so I don't know, uh, not a not a big change. Like you mentioned, I think uh, you know Schwarber would would get a bump certainly in that scenario. Rizzo and Baez are two guys that I really like, and you know him them hitting presumably. I would think second and third. I would I would still be very high on them. So I guess not a ton changes for me with this Cubs news. Although, you know, Joe Madden man, managing there the last couple of years, we obviously saw their lineup order kind of change all over the place. Uh, it'll be interesting with David Ross there, you know, kind of, I assume kind of an old school guy wouldn't be surprised if the Cubs roll out, you know, the same or very similar lineup most nights.
1: Yeah. I think he will have a very structured approach to the team. So we'll have to see how that goes going to Kansas city at Alberto Mondesi. It's like, you love him. You hate him. The shoulders a, a nagging issue. You never know. He, they say he's pretty close to a hundred percent. And by the beginning of the season, they imagine there being no issues unless another setback takes place. He's going around pick 31 I've kind of stayed away so far because I'm concerned of the shoulder with this kind of news. Are you, are you still waiting and seeing, or are you in on Mondesi?
2: You got to bump him up a little bit, I think. Right. Um, yeah. Cause we were a hundred percent sure that he was going to be ready to go at the start of the season. Looks like he will be. Uh, I was all over him last year. Um had him on most of my teams. Uh, I don't have a ton. I actually I don't even know if I have any, maybe one or two shares so far. Uh, I'm worried about the shoulder, even if he's a hundred percent, it just takes, you know, it was a, a shoulder dislocation. Right. And from what I understand, yeah. the the more you might've been his second one, I'm not sure exactly, but anyway, the, the first one is a big one. And once you have one, it can happen again. We're talking about a guy that's, you know, diving all over the field, both as a, as a defender at shortstop and a base dealer. Sure. Maybe he can go, uh, feet first and, and try to avoid some of that, but he, you know, he does seem like a player that is uh, more of an injury risk than most. I think that's safe to say with Alberto Mondesi, um, you know, his, his plate discipline is just atrocious. Like he's, he's in my, you know, my third round kind of upside players, but there's a lot of risk with Mondesi. I still feel like.
1: Yeah. He, he's one of the few guys in baseball that could steal you like 60 bases. So that upside's ridiculous but the shoulder injury is scary cuz a it'll it'll mess with power if it gets reaggregated b right. you would imagine he could aggravate that super easily just diving into second stealing second base or something like that so it kind of it's a weird situation but when he came back last year for that last month of the year he was stealing bases like i think he had 12 or 13 steals in September yeah uh, if that's just a sign of things to come it's hard to ignore the situation if reports keep coming out that he's healthy i'm with you it's got to bump him up like he was pretty much a no draft for me because I was just too worried about him. But, you know, as, as things go up, say, you'd say, you go pitcher heavy early or you have like a JD Martinez in a pitcher something along those ways. If you can get Alberto uh, at the one, like the turn of the two, three round, I sure. think that's a huge upside. And I agree the the uh, dreaming uh, upside is huge with him. Let's go to the New York Yankees. This one doesn't surprise me a ton because I am not an Aaron judge fan. I'm just, the injuries he has, like people talk about Stanton's injury history. Judge just, I don't know, something different. They had one big year. Matt Modica tweeted it out the other day, like one season of, I think, around 50 homers. The other two seasons combined had the same amount. He just gets hurt a lot. He's already getting kind of shut down from batting practice because of a shoulder injury. I already had Stanton over Judge for me in some side bets. What's your thoughts on Judge right now?
2: Yeah, I've been mostly out on him as well. Like, you know, he's just had just kind of a a large number of different injuries over the last couple of seasons, like the oblique thing that's always a concern for me. It seems like you know if you strain an oblique once I, again, I don't have the data on this, but it seems like that could happen again, right It seems like some people would be more susceptible to that than others um that's uh that's my n f b c page blowing up there uh, looking at draft <laughs> <tonight>. <laughs> but yeah I, like, one one thing with judge that I worry a little bit about like how many great baseball players have there been in major league history that are like over six, six, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> like, is he like too big? Is he just not built for, you know, longevity again, just to suggest a uh, suggestive, not suggestive, um, subjective uh, kind of opinion I have on Aaron judge. And I just, I don't know. I don't see a ton of room for profit at his current draft spot. And I see a lot of downside. So I'm going to be uh, probably staying away from Aaron Judge unless he falls far down boards. So.
1: Yeah, this shoulder issue just convinced me even more not to touch him. Yeah. So uh, let's go to Toronto. They've been making a lot of noise, and this is kind of fun because you, know, you got a division where the Yankees are projected to win over 100 games pretty easily. The Rays are going to be good. The Red Sox not going to be good, but you never know. Like they still have a decent team. Then you got the Blue Jays, like this really young fun team. Not a lot of pitching, but these bats can be fun for days. Lourdes Gurriel is one of those guys that came on, you know, the last two-thirds of the season, played really well. He's going to on pick 158 right now, and the report's coming out of camp. He was already in the outfield. Now they're going to try him out at first base so he can platoon both spots, outfield and first base, likely platoon with uh, Travis Shaw at first base. Does this change anything for Gurriel? What's your just thoughts on Gurriel real quick?
2: Yeah, I, Gurriel, one of those players that kind of confuses me. I don't really know what to expect from him. Uh, you know, I feel – Pretty confident in most of my projections. Guriel is one that I don't. Um, mm-hmm. So just kind of lukewarm on him, I guess. I've got to share two so far. Um, you know, if I end up with 20 teams, I'll probably just want him on two of them, kind of match the field, if you will, on like the percentages or whatever, just because I'm not sure what to expect from Guriel. The Blue Jays in general, uh, like, the, the you know, the next item on our list here is Boba Shett, Kavadigio expected to hit one, two at the top of that order just a massive range of outcomes on like most of the players in this lineup, right? Like Guriel, I don't know exactly what to expect. I think you can say the same thing about Bichette and Biggio. I like Biggio better just because he's going, well, like almost a hundred picks, 90 picks, 200. something like that after Bo Vlad, like, I mean, he was all the rage this time last year, right? And then had a, frankly, a pretty disappointing season. He wasn't terrible, but he, you know, he hurt you pretty badly if you drafted him in the first three or four rounds, but He's lost some weight, and we know the talent is there. So I could see the Blue Jays' offense being incredible. Uh, and I could also see these guys kind of disappointing, right? Still a lot of young players. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure what to do with the Blue Jays. Do you have a, a strong take on how these guys are going to perform?
1: Well, I, I've been beating the boba Chet drum. I, I'm going to probably sure. drown with that one if it's there because he's 22 years old. So I know he still has some, probably room to grow, but the overall hit tool I think is very, very good. And he yep. gives you that stolen base upside that if you miss on one of the big shortstops, I can go there. I can also understand the arguments against Bo Bichette. I because I'm usually not one to grasp onto these really young guys right away. But there's something about Bichette. I just, I'm just I'm a big fan of his overall profile that I'm yep. there. Um, Biggio, more of an OBP guy, but hitting second might help a lot. I could see him being good, hitting behind Bichette. I'm not reaching for Biggio, but the power is there. If he can uh, maybe increase the average, he could actually be a, a sneaky Play, like you said, he's going to pick 131, where Bichette's going to pick 60. So there's a good gap there between the two. Lourdes is going third. I'm a big Lourdes fan, but I'm not really where he's getting picked at 158. Like last year, he was one of your last picks, and I was all about it. This year, it's kind of tough. You got Vladito, who you mentioned. I love seeing the weight loss. As a Giants fan, I've seen Pablo Sandoval do that too. So I'll believe it when it continues. But um, the thing with Vlad I was reading today – is he's actually he's very what I like to see with these young kids, he's cognizant about his his hitting profile. He was cognizant yep. that he hits too many ground balls. So yep. he's physically trying to improve his launch angle. That's good to hear. Cause he hits the snot out of the baseball. So it's tough. And you got guys like Randall Gritchuk and like one of your last rounds, Tiaster Hernandez, they hit the ball a mile. It's gonna be interesting. I like these guys. I think, you know, for guys like you and me, we're gonna stack them a lot in DFS yes. because they're going to be very exciting from a season-long approach. They all definitely bring risk to them because young players will have bunches, a lot of up and downs, lots of streaks. And that's just something you have to be aware of.
2: Yeah, there'll be a, a team to watch. I'm a little bit nervous about maybe missing out on a, a monster Vlad Guerrero season. Uh, like mm-hmm. last year, I was pretty high on him uh, in like January and February. And then spring training rolls around and I'm just like, like looking at this guy's like it's like twenty years old and dude <laughs> is like pretty pretty <laughs> out of shape, pretty fat. Like and Loompa Loompa. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, obviously that doesn't really it shouldn't matter that much for a player who's not gonna run anyway, but it just kinda made me, you know, just kinda question it a little bit and was lucky enough to like avoid him in my big drafts. Um so I don't know, I could see a, a monster season from Vlad, but you're not really getting a discount, right? He's still no, going pretty high all. in drafts. So. Yeah,
1: pick 53 um, over the last two weeks.
2: Yeah, so I could end up with some, um, but right now not a player that I'm really targeting in this group, Biggio, the one that I like the best.
1: Yeah, it, it sounds like a, a good situation to have there in, in Toronto. It'll be fun to see what more news comes out of there. Let's go to St. Louis. Miles um, Mikolas has been a pitcher I've never wanted to own because I really don't, there's a few guys, Kyle Hendricks, maybe Marcus Stroman, a few that I know I'm not going to get a lot of strikeouts out of. I, I can live with that. Miles Miklis didn't offer much to me, and he doesn't strike anybody out. Well, he's already getting uh, a platelet rich injection into his arm. He's already not going to be here to start the season. And so that's one part of this. The other part is there's rumors they're trying to stretch out Alex Reyes to be a starter. And the scary thing is if you look at Alex Reyes, is um, you know past seasons hasn't thrown a total lot of innings. I think he maybe maxes out 100 this year. What's your thoughts on those two guys?
2: I mean, if if we got word Alex Reyes is going to start the year in the rotation um, and he was still being drafted, you know, like, what, what's his ADP now? It's got to be super, super low. Uh, I wouldn't mind taking a shot on that. It's kind of a, you know, last pick in a 12-team or 15-team or, or, or whatever it may be. Pick 30. Yeah, because he's obviously got a ton of talent. So you could take a flyer on him. I think most likely if you drafted him today in an online championship, probably dropping him in the first couple of weeks and, you know, probably just won't work out. I, I just don't kind of trust it, but not a bad lottery ticket right there. And then, and then Michaelis, was, I actually kind of liked him going into last year. I, I kind of liked the stuff, even though the, the strikeouts weren't there in his first season back from overseas, but this, uh, this news that, you know, he's not going to be ready with the PRP injection, uh, not nearly enough upside from what we've seen from him to take the injury risk. So, more or less off my board, miles my at this point.
1: Yeah, it's a tough spot there. Um, we move on to the Houston Astros, and this time it's not to talk about drums or buzzers or anything like that. But uh, <laughs> there's rumors out there that Josh James uh, is kind of the front runner for the fifth spot in the rotation. He, everybody was in love with him last year. He's going to pick 301 right now. You got Jose Kitty, who many are talking about. He might go around on the fourth spot in the rotation. I'm a Josh James fan. I love the strikeout stuff. There's some control issues at times. I like him a lot at pick 301. Obviously, he's gone as high as 248 in the last 10 days. The healing is going to go. This news keeps coming out. Uh, Are you a believer in Josh James or even Jose Kitty as a back-end rotation filler for the Astros?
2: Yeah, give me both these guys. Uh, I think Josh James is probably the higher upside arm. Uh, if you remember going into last year, he was going to compete for the Astros rotation, the last spot there, but he got the quad injury, I think maybe right before spring training or, you know, uh, within, a, within a couple of days. And basically that knocked him out, put him in the bullpen all year. He was pretty good there. Um, a ton of strikeouts, you know, wasn't super great at everything else. But, man, so much upside from Josh James. Obviously, we've obviously seen Houston pitchers uh, perform super, super well over these last couple of years. Urkidi, another guy that I like. Uh, you know, they trusted him enough to have him pitching important playoff innings last year. Uh he had some some fantastic numbers uh in triple A and you know, tough places to pitch in the PCL, I believe he was. Um so yeah, give give me both these guys where they're going, you know, outside the top two hundred.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Kitty two pick two eighteen, James three oh one. Definite value when looking at those right now. So J- James Hopefully, is
2: going to fly up draft boards if this kind of news continues that he's going to be under rotation.
1: How high? How high is too high? Is he have to be like or Kitty, around two eighteen or do you, even another I, I, I would still there. I got to take there. I've
2: taking Josh James in my last two online championships, kind of uh, around like you know round twenty five or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I have no problem taking him. You know, five rounds earlier than that. Like, why not? Yep. Like again. You know, you can't really be hurt by a round 20 pick, and uh, the upside is immense. So, yeah, give me, give me some Josh James, assuming he I, – I mean, even kind of pick, I don't know, like 170, 180, I'd still be interested. You would have to get pretty high up before I would uh, not have interest in taking him.
1: Yeah, that'd be about round 11 or 12 or so, depending on the size of your league, and that'd probably be your third or fourth starter. That's a, a hell of a fourth starter for sure, pretty, yeah. pretty good third starter if yeah. uh, that's how things are going for you. Couple more here and then we'll move on. Uh, Nick Solak, this is a guy that I know I picked up late last season, power speed combo type player, crushed it in the minors, had a little ups and downs with the Rangers last year. But coming into the, you know the, the season this year, they're saying, okay, it's a super utility, we'll have to see how it goes. Well, early on in camp here, they're now saying Solak may likely be the starting center fielder. So, two questions for you if he we know Solak has an everyday job, I'm a big fan of that. What's your thoughts on that? And then secondly, that's they said that would move Danny Santana to super utility guy, which could hamper some things there. So what's your thoughts on Solek and Santana if kind of the roles get reversed?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of Danny Santana so far. Oftentimes I find myself not having filled my first base spot in the first, uh, you know, 10 or so rounds. Um, and then if I need speed, it's kind of hard to pass up Danny Santana, like pick 140, wherever he's going. Um, so I probably got got enough, frankly, Danny Santana in my, in my profile at the the moment, especially if Solak is really going to take the center field role. Uh, he's an interesting guy. He looks like a pretty damn good hitter. Um, you know, basically every stop in the minor leagues, uh, swung the bat really well over league average. Um, yeah, I I do think this guy can hit. He was pretty solid for the Rangers over 135 plate appearances. And if he's going to take an everyday role for, uh, for the Rangers in center field, he's probably going to be productive, right? So um, he's been going – I think he's only utility eligible, at least in yep. the NFBC. Oh, oh, but only utility right be, now. Yeah, he would gain that uh, that outfield eligibility, I think, after just 10 games. Like, you need 20 to qualify, you know, from last year. But in season, I think you just need 10 to get the new eligibility. So that would happen quickly for him. And, uh, yeah, if the news continues to be positive for Nick Solak, I'll be in. Uh, assuming he doesn't get, you know, too much he
1: land Yeah, he's going to pick 284 right now. I, I was drafting him already, kind of I hoping did. the utility role where he'd get, like, some middle infield eligibility, some outfield, get a little bit of everything, um, kind of like Danny Santana has. But uh, still, I, I like Solak's overall power speed, a later round kind of stolen base guy you can get. He, I think he legit does have 20-20 upside. So uh, someone to keep an eye on there with Nick Solak with the Rangers. Last bit of news, and this one's really nothing crazy, just something to keep an eye on. We kind of hit it on it with Trent, uh, Trey Turner batting third. The rumors out of Cleveland is Francisco Lindor might be moving to the third or fourth spot in the lineup there, likely moving Oscar Mercado, Cesar Hernandez, which would be big for him, towards the top of the order. Anything that uh, strikes a fancy to you with this Cleveland uh, lineup change?
2: Uh, not a ton with Lindor. You, know, you yeah. kind of know what to expect from him. One of the more steady players, I don't think – He's not going to fall off a cliff or anything like that. I also don't think he's got a ton more ceiling um, in him, Lindor. So I would kind of basically keep him where he is, which is, you know, a, a top 10 pick certainly. Uh, Cesar Hernandez I think would be the interesting one if he was going to lead off, obviously a high on base percentage guy. I think you could bump up Hernandez's stolen base projection a little bit if we thought he was going to lead off. And he's an interesting one, right? Second base. Yeah. Um, pretty uh pretty shallow position if you miss out on I, I do like those first few guys, Ozzy Albi's Castanera, Catel Marte, but if you miss those guys, it gets kind of un- uninteresting pretty quickly and I don't mind filling that second base spot, you know, later in the in a draft with Cesar Hernandez. I think he's going to play every day. He's a, not a bad player at all and he's just kind of getting slept on, right? You don't yep. really hear anybody write or talk about Cesar Hernandez, but if you need a second base or a, a middle infielder, I don't mind it. <clears throat>
1: Cesar Hernandez is a guy I used to target a ton when he was in Philadelphia. And the reason why is A, he leads off, and B, he gets on base. Like you said, the batting average is really, he's a good late round batting average asset. Could pop you, you know, 12 to 15 home runs and, and run for you a bit. He's going to help you in three and a half, let's say, categories. He's not going to drive in a ton, but he's going to help you a lot. He's going to pick 300 right now. And what you said about second base, I'm 100% on board with. If you miss out on those early guys, there's a few guys here, and they're like, "I'm a Moustakis fan, but I get if it doesn't work for everybody, because a lot of guys want their steals from the middle." Uh, there's a few guys here and there, but if you don't, if you miss on the early guys, I think for second base, you almost do wait till the end and just say, "I'm going to grab one of these guys later." And if if it opens up the door for Cesar Hernandez, that's going to be huge because he he can really flourish if he's hitting in front of J Ram, Lindor, Carlos Santana. He could have a field that we saw how much they let Lindor run leading off. They're going to let Cesar run. He's going to score runs. I'm, I'm a big fan. of of that move overall if it happens. Kind of how we like Victor Robles in Washington. It ups uh, Cesar Hernandez, who is kind of more of a undrafted or late, late round guy, where Victor Robles is already hyped up anyways. So yeah, for, that will for be sure. intriguing.
2: And just as like a general strategy point, I do think it's important to have players at every position, if you can, that are kind of like fallback options, right? So if you miss yeah. out on the second baseman that you were kind of targeting, you know, they get jumped in the ADP or someone falls and you feel like you have to take them so you, you don't get those guys – like don't you know if you have a guy like Cesar Hernandez that you, you kind of know is going to be waiting for you at the end of the draft then you, you don't panic and take someone with a higher pick that you don't particularly like so I do like to have uh if I can a couple of guys at each position that I know that will be there for me at the end of the draft if it, if it does kind of come down to that
1: definitely and that's one reason why I talk you know knowing the player pool the most and that, that's kind of the, the the logic behind my quote when I say that and You'll you'll see other places write about it, and I'll I'll talk about it once in a while, and a lot of people will. Is kind of, and this is kind of the theory behind tier based drafting, but not completely. Is just know like who you're comfortable with like on your roster, and you know if you, like you said, if you miss this guy and you still want Cesar, okay, so now you don't wait till pick 300. You might take him a round or two earlier, but he's still there for you, so you yep. can kind of move around and make those decisions. So you're not panicking, like you said, don't pass up in like round 12 on a really good Josh James. Because you are scared you're not gonna have second baseman and now you have some scrub like you know you know blast your Kiki Hernandez or something. Some along those lines where you just don't need that situation. So yeah, uh, sure. definitely a good point there. All right, let's go dream of upside here. Like you said, we're the first 15 rounds, 12 players per round, and we're kind of give our top upside player in each round. Obviously, first round players are all very good, but what we're gonna talk about are Like, let's say this guy could potentially be a top one or two pick by the end of the season and so on and so forth. Next week or next time we record, we'll do the next 15 or next 15 rounds and wrap up the whole draft for you. So, um, like Peter said, it's gonna be a lot of fun kind of using the the idea of if you want to take a chance, these are your guys. And it goes back to that Cesar Hernandez thing. You can gamble on these guys or if it doesn't work, you got Cesar Hernandez later. Stuff like that. Um, let's go round one. You got Acuna, Yellow, Trout, Bellinger, Betts, DeGrom, Cole, Lindor, Turner, Story, Soto, Verlander. Also, we're using NFPC online ADP from February 10th on what would be your first round upside play?
2: Yeah, obviously uh, the first round for me, like I don't really see much risk for any of these guys. Uh, so, so I do really like the first round overall this year. I'm going with Juan Soto here. Um, you know the idea behind it, like Soto, who's just, I think he's going to be 22. No, he's still just 21. Uh, his numbers the last two years for a you know a 19 and 20 year old at the major league level are like historically great, right? He's just been an absolute beast. He was in the minor leagues. He continues to get better. You see the swag when you watch him play, and I was grabbing his crotch against some superstar pitchers. He's just a boss. Uh, Last year, 282 average, 34 home runs, 12 steals, 110 RBIs and runs. Uh, So a beastly season from Juan Soto. You know, he doesn't, like, look like the most impressive player, right? I don't think he's an incredible athlete. His sprint speed isn't that high. He doesn't have – he's got great power, but it's not elite light tower power, if you will. But, man, I could see him continuing to improve as a hitter. I think most people kind of assume Juan Soto is – this is who he is. He's kind of capped out. Could be the case, but he could also continue to get a lot better. I think he's uh, super safe. But to me, he looks like a 300-plus a hitter, right? If you look at the minor leagues, mm-hmm. like every year it's like 320-plus, including you know some stops, 360, 370. Um, so I think he will hit 300 this year. I think he could easily hit 40-plus home runs. And even the steals, which I think some people are uh, projecting at least um, some regression there. I'm not sure that's necessarily the case. 12 of 13 running last year. I don't know why he would continue to steal a few bases if he's being successful at it. So, yeah, I can see Juan Soto being a uh, a top five pick next year easily and returning that sort of value.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm a big fan of Soto. Sammy Reed would approve. that you made a a good pick there with the the childish Bambino. Um, I think the biggest thing that I love about him, not just being so young and successful, is being so young and that plate discipline. That is terrifying what he can do. Because the hardest thing for especially young kids is the plate discipline. And with the way he can do that, it just opens up so much more to his offensive skills. So I'm a big fan of that. He could definitely take that next step. For me, it's a guy that last year I was banging the drum as a top three pick. I still love him this year. I'm actually happy he falls to where he falls. And I'm going Trey Turner. Uh, we talked about him earlier. I really do believe he's got like 25 home run upside. And if you can mix that with 40 stolen bases, hit 270 to 280 or more. Is it 284, 271, 298 the last three years of the bigs? Like all the projection sites have him 285 to 290. You give me that with 25 homers and hopefully 40 steals, he's going to score runs. If he moves to the third spot in the order, the projection sites have around 70 RBIs. You might be able to bump that up to 90. I know 20 sounds a lot, but that's a difference between first and third in the lineup. That's a big bump there on the possibility of driving in runs. It just takes him to a whole new level. It takes him to almost a Ronald Acuna type number, maybe not as much power, but what people are drafting Acuna for this year, that would give you Trey Turner. And so for me – if you can get Turner at the end of the first round, which you're getting right now, and I wouldn't be shocked if you see him towards the top of the overall, like, you know, whatever player rate or you believe, if it's ESP ESPN, whatever, by season's end, I wouldn't be shocked if he's there, if he stays healthy. That's always an if, but like last year, he got hit in the hand bunting. If he's batting third, I hate to break it to you, he ain't bunting. So uh, little things like that could go a long way for Trey Turner. I love him. I've always loved him. It's kind of been a, a deal with him, that stolen base power upside. But like you said, First round is loaded. You can make arguments for pretty much anybody you want. The first yeah. few rounds are loaded. So you're really just kind of, you know, picking at your favorite and and looking at whatever upside you have. But, yeah, lots of ways to go with it there.
2: Yeah, no, no, no issue with Trey Turner there at all. Um, super efficient base stealer, so I don't think those are going anywhere. You know, it's a, what is the 100th percentile sprint speed, according to StatCast. Um, so totally has the potential to be, you know, the number one overall earner this year. Uh, love
1: that call. Yep, definitely an option there. Let's go to round two We got one of the more polarizing names put upsides there with Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, Bueller, Scherzer, Arenado, J. Ram, Bregman, Freddie Freeman, Devers, Flaherty, Rendon, Harper, and J.D. Martinez is going to the end of round two in a 12-team league. This is a really interesting group of names here because there's a lot of ways to go. Who's your uh, upside guy in round two?
2: I went with Jose Ramirez here Um, this time last year, Jose Ramirez, I think he was like consensus top three or four pick, I believe. Uh, And then you, you remember he got off to that just horrific start. He was just awful for like the first few months, first couple of months, at least of last year. And then he basically found it again in the second half and kind of returned to that 2018 form. Uh, We know how, how scarce steals are. And we've seen just some monster seasons from, from Jose Ramirez. I see no reason why he couldn't kind of pick up where he left off last year. You know, if he wouldn't have ever found it and if he would have kind of turned in a, a, a poor season overall, I'd be really hesitant here. But the fact that he had uh, that that really big second half uh, makes me think he, he could be capable of it again. I mean, 2018, this dude hit 39 home runs and stole 34 bases. Uh, just mm-hmm. a monster season from from Jose Ramirez just two seasons ago. Again, I'm not projecting him to return to quite that level, but he could. We've seen it before, and I don't think the skills have changed all that much for him. He gets really soft AL Central pitching, right? The Tigers, the Royals, even the Twins. You're not super scared of that staff. Um, So White Sox are fine, obviously. So, yeah, Jose Ramirez, I could see him easily jumping into, you know, top five uh, kind of dollars earned, if you will.
1: Yeah, we said before the show that there's a chance we'll have some that we share. This is what we share. Like, I am full team J-RAM this year. I've been My ideal first and second round, if I'm at the back end of the, the draft, is a one of the three shortstops in J-RAM. That's like my ideal start to to a team yep. right now because of everything you said. He's a, a year basically removed from almost 40-30, let alone 30-30, which is just crazy to think about in this era of baseball where steals are so hard to come by and you rarely see that power-speed combo. Um, he was going towards the top of drafts last year, like you said. He got hurt. Uh, and those first second-half splits are no joke. Uh, in 43 second-half games, he hit 16 of his 23 home runs at three twenty seven. So many things to like uh, in those scenarios that it's hard to pass up on, on just what he did uh, last last year, especially as the season finished. He even had a, that what hand or thumb injury in the second half and still yeah. kept crushing baseballs. So there's a lot to like with J-Ram. I'm not going to elaborate too much more on that. The guy is so good in the middle of a, at least the top half of that Indians order is going to be pretty solid. So I, I'm a big fan of the J-Ram call. If I had, if I was going to go somewhere else, I'd say probably Bryce Harper just because he's always got that upside to go to the next level. Yep. But um, he, he, he was my close second there, and I've been going for him a lot. If I'm at the back end of the second round, Harper's a big target of mine. But for me, if I pick one guy, it's J-Ram.
2: Yeah, uh, Walker Buehler was my kind of runner-up there. I do think he's got uh, Cy Young potential. I could see him kind of uh, vaulting up to the perhaps even the very top of the pitcher ranks by this time next year.
1: The, the cold, the groms of the world. Yeah, I could see it. We saw it with him. He took that last that step last year. That you know, yep. there's pretty only there's only one more place to go basically. So exactly, I'm with you there. Uh, round three, we got Bieber, Strasburg, Starling Marte, Clevenger. Who's hurt already? Uh, Aaron Judge, who I think we won't be picking. Alberto Mondesi, Blake Snell, Ozzy Albies, Pete Alonso, Gleyber Torres, Johnny Vr, and Austin Meadows—a younger group in this area. Who's your round three target?
2: Yeah, pretty exciting group of players here, um, and we talked about him already. Alberto Mondesi. Again, I don't actually haven't been actually drafting him all that much, just because I think the risk is super high. Uh, what's he going right now? Pick 31 feels it's a little too high for me, but now, you know, good health reports coming out of camp. Like if you just look what he's done these last, uh, you know, couple of seasons, 2018, he only had 291 plate appearances. He stole 32 bases, you know, and, and basically less than half a full season. And then last year, 102 games, 443 plate appearances, 43 steals chips in a little bit in power. And, you know, despite, Kind of the awful plate discipline stats, super high K rates. The average hasn't hurt you, two seventy six and two sixty three in each of the last two years. Most projection systems are, you know, saying he's going to decline an average, possible. But we do have a, a somewhat decent sample size at this point, so I, I think Mondesi probably one of the biggest risk reward players in the entire draft. Uh, I do think he could be easily a top five or 10 uh, value returner. I could also see him playing, you know, 40 games and kind of tanking your team at this pick. So it's a little too early for me where he is going, but the upside is so high. I felt like I had to include him here.
1: Yeah. Mondesi is the correct call here. I I would agree with you on Mondesi. I'll break down another guy though, just to, to mix it up here. Mondesi is a great call, but the the close second to Mondesi is Ozzy Albies for me. Yeah, that, well, I talked about him
2: a lot in our last pod, so I kind of yeah. left him
1: out. Yeah. I know how much you love him, and pretty much everything you said is accurate, so it, it's hard to really pick up on that, but I love when I look at stat cast pages, and you know, shameless plug from my last show Alex Chamberlain, his pitch leaderboard is basically everything you want from like three websites on one. I highly recommend people check it out, because it's going to get better and better, and he's adding hitters to it soon. It's, it's pretty awesome, so you don't have to go from like four sites to all one, but um, when you look at Alberto Mondesi, I mean, uh, Ozzie Albies, The barrel rate continues to increase. He was up to 6.6% last year, so he's above league average now. We've seen the the launch angle go up, the sweet spot percentage go up. The hard hit rate, most importantly, is up to 33.5% last year from 29.4. His K rate stays at a reasonable manner. He's hit in front of Freddie Freeman and Marcelo Zuna last year, Josh Donaldson, everything he wants there. And then you throw on top, he's got 25 home run potential. If he starts, you know, projection sites have him 15 to 17 steals. I think there's a ceiling on top of that. You know, get me 20-plus steals. He's got 20-20 upside, 25-25 type upside. In round three of your draft, he's a great OBP asset if you're playing OBP leagues. Lots to like about a kid. And I say kid because he is still only 23 years old. Like, we talked about – you mentioned Soto. You got Acuna. The game's in a great spot with all the youth. And that's the fun part about it is – they're still getting better. They're still like finding their crafts. So it's, it's crazy to see where these guys might go. And Ozzie Albies could be that next guy who we're drafting late round one, early round two next year. Uh, if, if, if things go the way they should go. So I'll be, Ozzy Albies would be my guy for round three.
2: Love the love call love Albies. And uh, you know, this is the, uh, the ceiling, you know, the upside episode, but I do think, Ozzie Albies also brings an incredible floor to your
1: team. Yeah. I guess that'd be the difference between him and Mondesi. Like, I think Mondesi's yes. upside is probably higher, but the floor that Albies brings kind of gives you that, okay, I know I'm going to get this with the upside. It just depends on how you like to draft. Everyone's different, but uh, yeah. definitely that there. I, I have I, a hard
2: time taking Mondesi over Albies right
1: now. <laughs> like, Albies is your cash gameplay, and Mondesi your GPP. <laughs> so for sure. Go get him. Um, let's go to round four here. This is where I can start really testing my math skills out um chris sale castillo altuve javi Baez, who is slowly creeping up i think when we talked last week i know i talked with others he was almost around pick 60 he's up to 40 now jordan alvarez okay that's you i know who you're picking now uh xander bogarts <laughs> keston here at Marte, pat corbin springer rio muto and charlie blackman are you gonna surprise us or are you going with your boy I listened to you here, but uh,
2: yeah, I will go
1: with, with uh, Jordan
2: Alvarez. Uh, I mean, I, I talked about him on our last pod too. The dude is just, he's a freak. I, like I was trying to think of kind of comparing him to a, a player from another sport. The best I could kind of come up with was Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like just a freak athlete who just looks different on the field than every other player, you know, in a, you know, a man among boys, if you will, for Jordan Alvarez. Power to all fields. Good plate discipline. Uh, I'm not worried that he was, you know, benefiting really last year from any of the uh, the cheating stuff from the Astros. So, kind of sucks that he's utility only. And also, there was some news yesterday, I believe, that
1: about his, his knee.
2: Knees are hurting him a little bit, and that's why he doesn't want to play the outfield, or that's why he doesn't play the outfield. I don't know. I'm not really buying that or, or moving him based on that. So yeah, Jordan Alvarez, my guy here. I just think he's going to have a monster, monster season for the Astros pick up right where he left off last year. And then the, the other guy that I, that I do want to mention quickly, Chris sale, I probably mm-hmm. will end up with maybe zero Chris sale because you know, I'm just worried like last year, obviously the velocity was down. The, the results were a little bit down. Saw James Andrews, the, uh, you know, the, the famous doctor, I think in August or September. Um, he's saying he feels good that his elbow is is good to go. Like, I don't really believe it, but uh, the skills for Chris Sale when he's on are just incredible. I mean, if he's truly healthy, again, I doubt it. But if he is, he could easily be SP1 overall.
1: Yeah, no, he's. A, I'm a big fan. If you want to take risks, Chris Sale, I think, is a phenomenal risk. He's got definitely SP1 upside. Just realize it's, it's risk, and that's part of the deal here. But um, I'm a fan. I got him in one draft. Before, he kind of got a little bit of helium, which he's gotten of late. But I got him in like around late four or five, something like that. And that was too hard to pass up. Everyone's got a price, and his was there. Um, My my guy will be Javi Baez. I kind of hinted at the value. I have him in at least two-thirds of my leagues right now. I'm a believer in what he is. People forget we're just a year removed from 101 runs, 111 RBIs, 21 steals, 34 homers, 290. I know that's probably the ceiling, but that's what we're talking about here. And a stat line like that is a first-round player. If that's an MVP, you got MVP votes that year, people. Like, the dude was was that good. He flashes the leather, so they're not going to take him off the field. He was banged up last year in 138 games, still hit 29, drove in 11, uh, or stole 11 bags. still hit 281. So even in, in a down season, he was still great. He's going to get you double-digit stolen bases, lots of power, help you in all five categories. I'm a big Javi Baez fan, and he's – um Right now with those talks of Bryant leading off, they got Baez hitting third between Rizzo and Schwarber. So they're going to pitch to him. And, you know, you got right, left, right, left situation. The stupid new relief pitcher rules. He's going to get some juicy matchups there where they bring a lefty in to face Rizzo and Schwarber. He's going to get the feast on some lefties. So I'm a big Javi Baez fan of this range. I think he's got that upside.
2: Yeah, nothing more to add really, but I'm certainly in on Javi Baez as well. <clears throat>
1: All right, let's go to round five now. We got Chris Paddock, Lucas Giolito, Kershaw, Stanton, Vladdy, Olsen, Nola, Darvish, Josh Hader, Eloy Jimenez, Charlie Morton, and Victor Robles. This is a heck of a range. Like there's a lot of ways to go with this. Uh, so he's sitting in round five. Who's your guy?
2: Yeah. Uh, like when, I, when I do drafts and then when I'm talking about these guys, it's like I've done so much research, I'm sure you're the same, where like, it's, I'm almost like sad when I make my pick because I have to pass up on some other players that I love as well, right? And you can only take yeah. one in the snake draft when, when your when your pick comes up per round. So, um, I, I'll go with Giancarlo Stanton here. I feel like I, I almost have to. Uh, the other pick would be you Darvish, uh, who I'm absolutely in love with this year. But but Giancarlo in the you know what is this, this is round five at this point? It's crazy. Yeah. So he, I think I mentioned this in our last pod, but he he really kind of hurt me last year, had him in my main event in the second round and just a completely lost season for Giancarlo. But man, the upside with him. I mean, you look at the stat cast page, 2017, 2018, you know, in barrels, he was second and fourth Uh, three years in a row, 16, 17, and 18. He's got the highest max exit velocity over 120 miles per hour off the barrel. (laughs) Uh, The average exit velocity last, three years you know not not including last year uh average exit velocity second sixth and fourth like nobody hits the ball harder than Giancarlo Stanton he's seemingly healthy right now he's playing in that awesome uh, hitters part in New York that he can actually take advantage of even to right field because he can go the opposite way he's in a good lineup I mean I was you know having a Twitter discussion with him uh, about him with some people a couple days ago it's like he could hit sixty home runs, you know. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> he could easily do it, and you're talking about a fifth rounder who could easily conceivably give you sixty home runs. Hard to pass up on at this point, even though there is a lot of risk here, given the uh, the injuries that we saw last year. And it wasn't just one injury; it was like four or five different injuries.
1: It's a massive risk, but I'm a hundred percent with you. This this price tag is crazy. Like I used to never be a Giancarlo. Kind of my same thoughts on Judge where he's going. When Stanton went up there, I was always nervous. Like, okay, that's yeah. a little different, different ball game. But my goodness, like you said, 60 home runs, it sounds silly, but it's really not. Like, you would no one to be shocked if he hits like 53. And that's, and he probably spent a 10-day, de- or now it's back to 15, a 15-day 15 IL stint, and he hit 53. Like, that's very feasible with G and Carly. You mentioned those stats, you know, a better way to 16, 17 four, 15 one, 25% in the last four years. The exit velos the, everything. It's it's yeah. absolutely ridiculous what he's doing.
2: Yeah, and so, another guy. Yeah. If, if you're worried about the ball kind of being uh, brought back to 2018, yeah. 2017 levels, he's not going to be affected by that. It Doesn't yeah. matter. If John Carlo gets a hold of one; it's going out of the park.
1: Yeah, he's he's up there to do one thing and one thing only: to hit the ball. He's like the Pedro Serrano of the real life baseball. Mm-hmm. He wants to see ball, hit ball, hit ball very far. That's exactly. what Stanton wants to do, and I, I'm all for it because the difference also between Judge and Stanton. More often than not, Stanton's D eighteen, so he's not running around the outfield and hurting himself, which I'm a fan of as well. Yep. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Stanton. I'm not going to go too much farther than that. I guess if I had to pick one more, it's Victor Robles, but we've kind of talked about him already. If he's leading yep. off, there's upside there. Sure. All right. Round six we go. Bo Luis Severino, who's pretty much going to be crossed off my draft boards, uh, Manny Machado, Noah Syndergaard, Tyler Glass now. Merrifield, Fan, Bryant, Moncada, Granky Yates, and DJ Lemayhous. He's dropping a bit of late, down to seventy-two. Um, fun group here. Who do you got?
2: I went with Glassnow. Here uh, we saw kind of the, the big breakout uh, early last year with the Rays. Obviously acquired him from the Pirates. Kind of changed. Um, you know, kind of they started having him throw up in the zone. Just nasty stuff. I mean, if you look on like a per inning basis, Glasnow was right up there with the very top pitchers in the league missed a bunch of time, of course, with the injury, but came back and, you know, was kind of back to his normal self throwing hard. Uh, the innings risk with Glass now is, is very real. Um, you know, this is another guy who's what, like six, eight, like you just kind of worry a little bit if he can stay healthy and you worry even if he is healthy, will they try to, you know, kind of keep him to five innings at a time, skip him starts just to try to you know, preserve him for the whole season. So there is some risk there for sure. Uh, but I mean so Cy Young upside, I think, for last now, Like, we don't know for sure that they're gonna do that. Uh that he won't be fully healthy. I mean, I I've got him, I think, projected for like 140 innings, but would I be shocked if they let him throw 180, 185? Not really. Um, and he could just be an absolute beast uh if, if they do that. And even if he is around 140 innings, he could be effective enough to to pay off this price tag. So uh, the upside pick here is kind of betting on a you know a higher innings number than uh, you would expect, but I think it at least could happen.
1: Yeah, there's nothing wrong there, and he's developed that third pitch, so that could be tremendous for him this year. Uh, my guy, I hinted at him earlier as well as Bobichet. I'm all in for Boba Shett. Uh For those like, and, and you, you said earlier, he, it was a good point. We kind of just went by if people draft off projections. And yes, I use projections to help me kind of look into players and dig into them deeper. Because more often than not, projections are not, they're not completely accurate, but they're close, especially for hitters. It gives you something to go off of. Um, and most projection sites, if you look at Boba page and put it next to Ozzie Albee's page, there's a lot of similarities there. And I'm a big fan of, of what we're seeing there. Uh, in just 46 games with the Blue Jays last year, 11 homers, uh, four steals at 311. The dude was outstanding and just in that short sample size a 43.5% hard hit rate, four thirteen x Will bacon. That's really, really, really strong. 8.8% barrel rate from the kid. He's going to be leading off in the minors. You know, he had 32 stolen bases in 2018. He had 22 and 17. So he's going to run. He's going to hit for power. He's always been a good average guy. I, I really like him leading off for the Blue Jays. And in the sixth round, if you missed out on one of the big shortstops, I think Bichette can give you that massive upside who we're seeing in the first or second round uh, for years to come pretty soon, so Bubba Shet would be my guy.
2: Yeah, I love it. As we move on to uh, – I'll steal your hosting role for a second. <laughs> no to the, uh If you don't mind, to the seventh round. Um, after LeMayu, so pick 73 starts with Luis Robert, Aroldis Chapman, Goldschmidt, Rizzo, Jose Abreu, Lamour, Ramon Laureano, Max Muncie, Osuna, Sanchez, Woodruff, Berrios, and uh, last your guy boy. is Trevor Bauer uh here in round seven who do you got here going first
1: for me it's it's kind of crazy because i'll probably never draft him but it's lou bob just because of what and, we and do. he has to be
2: the pick here. he's mine too i mean come
1: on okay <laughs> i know uh, actually i didn't even think about it. i know he's your boy but he's got to be the pick here like you said you just look at what this guy can do at all the different levels uh that he's been through the minors he, he just consistently gets for good average for power um he can run. like He can do it on all, all five categories. He's an absolute stud. There's a reason why they're they're rushing. Well, rushing is not the right word, but they're bringing him up faster than other prospects get brought up. He's going to probably starting from day one with the big club, and he's going to be hitting a great spot in the order and a much better White Sox lineup. And like I said, five, five category tool. He, he'll likely, if he plays to his upper percentile, will outplay Victor Robles, So I'm a big fan of. So it's like, if you're a Victor Robles fan, you like to take that gamble. Lou Bob's quite the gamble as well. So I'll let you really roll with this because I know this is your guy, but uh, if you're going for pure upside, it's Louis Robert.
2: Yeah, Louis Robert, going to be the everyday, at least to start the year center fielder for the White Sox after signing that long-term contract. So he'll avoid any possible service time manipulation. Uh, I did some early draft champions back in December, January, before he signed. And I got him, I think, on like three or four teams in a row all past pick 100. Um, So now up to uh, ADP of 75-ish. I'm a little more gun-shy. I do think there's a ton of risk here. Like, if you look at the minor leagues, 17% swing and strike rate, which would be, like, basically the highest, you know, in baseball. So I do think there is a downside that Luis Robert, like, you know, starts in the majors, just can't really hit major league pitching. He just needs more seasoning. He basically tanks your team four, three weeks or a month and he gets sent down and you drop him and he was, you know, potentially one of the bigger bust picks in the draft, but man, the upside for this guy is enormous. Like we mentioned the, the, the kind of the knock on him is that he's maybe a little bit unpolished as a hitter, but Dan was he productive for a guy who everybody recognizes the tools. If you look at last year across three levels as a 21 year old, He hit 328 with 32 home runs and 36 steals over 550 plate appearances, not even quite a full season there. You know, we saw Ronald Acuna kind of put up monster numbers in the minors and then do it at the big league level. I think that's the closest comp for Luis Robert. I don't really know what to expect, but uh, if, you know, if he hits his 90th percentile outcome, he's going to return first-round value, and that's a you know, attempting gamble to take at pick 75 ish.
1: Yeah, no, that's it. there's a lot to like there. The risk, like you said, the floor and the ceiling are quite spaced out They're compared so to far apart, yeah. other players. Yeah, but uh, if you're willing to think he's a great pick for an overall league, if you're playing this in like yes. an individual league, maybe not.
2: <laughs> so 100%. Uh, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't take him at this price, you know, where if you're just in a 12 or 15 team league, but man, if you're in the online championship where you're trying to beat, what, 2,000 teams, something like that? Uh, give me the gamble on Luis Robert.
1: No doubt about it. Let's head to round eight on this one, and we have the likes of Nelson Cruz, Eugenio Suarez, Liam Hendricks, Joey Gallo, Josh Donaldson, Matt Chapman, Jeff McNeil, Marcus Simeon, Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario, Tim Anderson, and Brad Hand. Uh, some oldies and goodies here. What do you have in round eight?
2: Yeah, this is kind of a, an interesting one for me. Uh, I, I'm going with Josh Donaldson here. Um, you know, like most of our picks, right, are going to be kind of younger guys who could take a step, who've got some speed. Like Donaldson's kind of the opposite of that. Like we know kind of what to expect from Donaldson. But I'm still choosing him here because I just – I personally believe he's being drafted way, way below the value that I expect him to return. Uh, and there's not, you know, a ton of super high upside guys in this in this player pool. So John Donaldson is my pick. Um, you know, 2017 and 18 were kind of lost due to injury. That calf thing really kind of hindered him for a while. We saw at the end of 18 when he, uh, was, I believe traded to Cleveland, uh, had a strong finish and then last year was, was, was pretty awesome, uh, for the Braves. So I think Donaldson, I think he's going to be kind of what he was last year. And basically between the years of, you know, 2014 to 2016, he won an MVP in that time period. I actually think he's a legitimate MVP candidate with the Twins. I think the Twins are just going to crush it. Runs and RBIs are going to be there for Donaldson, assuming he kind of hits like I think he will. So, yeah, I'm expecting a a huge year from Josh Donaldson. He is and will continue to be uh, one of my highest rostered players, guy I'm targeting everywhere I can. And kind of surprisingly, he's not really moving up, you know, kind of stuck here at pick uh, 92 or so, which I'm a fan of because it means I get more Josh Donaldson on my teams.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Josh Donaldson was my guy as well. Um, for the last, I thought, I thought you were laughing at me about it being a bad. No, no, so I was like, I already wrote it down on my paper. I'm like, hey, here we go. Nice. But we said this was going to happen. And like, and one thing you said is this range doesn't have a lot of that kind of upside situation where Donaldson does for the last five years, 33 or more homers. When he's hitting the homers, especially on a, a Twins team where they're going to score a ton of runs again, he yeah. should get you 100 plus ribbies and likely 100 plus runs. You know, outside, of, you know, like 259 last year, like you said, he had a. 2018 is kind of a wash, but then 270, 284, 297, those years with all that home, those home runs, he was also a very, very good average hitter. So that 259 last year, if he can bump it up to 275 or so, still hit you to 30-plus homers, get you 100 and 100-plus 100 in those two other categories, not going to steal a ton for you, but you know that going into it, you're not drafting Josh Donaldson or many third basements, period, for stolen bases. So I wouldn't even make that an argument but you know you look at a statcast page and we talked about Giancarlo being like blood red my goodness Josh Donaldson you know yeah. last year a 15.7% barrel rate he's had at least a 12.2 or better in four to last if you take out that 2018 year where he was hurt all all the other seasons 12.2 or more that is outstanding 50% hard hit rate last year he's been a 44% or higher every year but last year There's uh, like similar to Stan's theory. Like if you look at his overall hit metrics, the bouncy ball does not matter for Josh Donaldson and playing in Minnesota, which is a better hitters park than people give credit for. Plus he gets to face the Tigers, the Royals, and those wonderful staffs. Donaldson's going to crush. And I'm with you hundred percent on that one. So lots to like there. Ninth round, Carlos Carrasco, Nick Castellanos, Taylor Rogers, Yasmani Grandal, Sonny Gray, Mike Moustakis, Corey Kluber, Edwin Diaz, Marcelo Zuna, Josh Bell, Mike Soroka, and Carlos Correa. Another kind of interesting range here. Who stands out to you on this one?
2: Yeah, I'm going to go with the uh, the first closer off our board with Edwin Diaz, who obviously traded over from the Mariners to the Betts, uh 2017 and 18. Basically the best closer in baseball. Um, and then last year just gave up <laughs> – Just so many home runs, but I I don't have it in front of me, but I think his home runs per nine is like 2.4 or something like that. You know, league average is right around one. Uh, But the crazy thing is with Diaz, you know, most of the underlying metrics, they kind of stayed the same. Like he still had an 18% swinging strike rate, 63% first pitch strike rate, like still missing a ton of bats. The K rate didn't really drop. It's just whenever he allowed decent contact, that contact just sailed over the fence, which, man you know the the stuff is all the same the slider still missed a ton of bats he's still throwing gas he's still young um so I think by far the the most likely outcome for Edwin Diaz in 2020 is he's one of the very best closers in baseball you know like again if he struggles super early or super a lot early on yes could he lose the job I think that's possible but I also think he's easily got uh you know, closer one upside I, I wouldn't be at all surprised pitching in the nl and a good part of all that stuff so yeah edwin diaz i'm, I'm trying to get uh, as much as i can here at pick 103 he's going also uh there is rumors that he kind of struggled with the the new baseball right the mm-hmm. uh, the lowered seams like he wasn't able to get uh quite the i think command of his slider that he was before and you know, maybe if we get a change in the baseball, maybe uh, the home runs will be reduced. But honestly, even if you told me uh, it was going to be the same baseball, I wouldn't really be concerned about that. Expecting big things from Edwin Diaz in 2020.
1: I like that call a lot. He's one of my favorite uh, relief pitcher targets, because if you look at it, his overall production, it's just overall stuff and, and metrics. He was outstanding. Uh, yep. And, you know, with, with relievers on such a small sample, it only takes a handful of home runs to ruin the entire stat line. So um diaz very very good call there for me i'm going with nick castellanos this is a guy i've been dying to get out of detroit like so so bad even with the tigers 26 23 and split season last year 27 home runs in great american small park he can absolutely just have a field day the people have seen the overlays and all that good stuff he's always been a good average player good obp guy now he's going to be in a great ballpark and a very good lineup um, you look at his, his player, uh, his batted ball profile on baseball savant. It's everything you want: the consistent, great barrels, which is one of the stickiest stats in baseball. It's just always there. His uh, his hard his hit rate is exo Bacon, everything you want from a power bat. He has, and now he's out of a bad ballpark and into a great ballpark. I'm a big Nick Castellanos fan. I'm not sure if he's got you know first or second round upside, but when we're talking round nine, I wouldn't be shocked if he's like round two or three. Like he's he could move up. You know, give him 35 home runs, 100 and 100, hit 285. Like, that's a 90th percentile outcome for me, and that's huge for Nick Castellanos. So he'd be my ninth-round pick if I'm looking that direction. Love it. All right, we go to round 10. We've got Kelly Jansen, Trey Mancini, Benintendi, Wheeler, Giles, Sano, Mercado, Garver, Hoskins, uh, Lizardo, Montas, and Ahmad Rosario. This is a fun group now. we got a nice young batch here. Who do you like?
2: Yeah, this one I thought was pretty easy for me to call on the upside. That's Miguel Sano, um, who finally had kind of a a big season last year. The strikeouts are still going to be enormous for him, 36% strikeout rate in 2019. But, you know, he kind of reminds me of a a Giancarlo Stanton, where he just has so much power that the strikeouts, he's just able to overcome them. 34 home runs in 439 plate appearances. I know you're going to see people – Kind of talk about you know the fact that Sano now in his uh, this will be his sixth season at the big league level. He's never had even 500 plate appearances in a season. I don't really see any reason why he couldn't. Uh, so he is a guy who like you know kind of has struggled with some some personal issues, uh, some you know some weight gain. But last year he came into camp um, kind of reinvigorated. He had lost some weight, and then he had a just kind of a freak heel injury. In spring training that caused him to miss the first month or two Uh, started off really slow. He couldn't catch up to fastballs, but he made some adjustments and had a monster second half of the year. Uh, The twins have, you know, this is a guy who I'm a twins fan and he was kind of on the outs a little bit in Minnesota, but um, you know, he's, he's kind of back. It sounds like he's even in better shape this year. The twins had enough faith in him to sign him to a three year, $30 million contract extension. So they are believers in the the changes that Sano has made. Uh, You look at the stat casts. I mean, he's kind of right there with guys like Giancarlo and Aaron Judge. Exit velocity, 100th percentile, hard hit percentage, 100th percentile, barrel rate, all that stuff. The dude kills baseballs. He's also going to get first base eligibility early on this year. Uh, Donaldson obviously going to play third. That'll shift Miguel Sano over to first, so you get that nice first third base dual eligibility with him early on. You know, uh, I don't know exactly where he's going to hit in the Twins lineup, but against lefties, I would guess it will be in the top four or five at at the worst. Um, So, yeah, I've seen no reason why Miguel Sano couldn't hit 50-plus home runs.
1: I love Miguel Sano. That would have been my pick. I'll I'll grab someone else to differentiate here. And mine's, like, really praying for a ceiling here. It's Oscar Mercado. And this is a guy that he kind of won Fabapalooza, even though he didn't win the bidding for Fabapalooza last year. Uh, 15 home runs in 115 games. He had four in the minors. If he can sneak into 20 home runs to go with his like 30 plus steal abilities, which he's shown throughout the minors for f- four straight seasons, he has 26 or more steals in, in five straight years uh, in the minors, let alone 29 combined last year. We have a legit 20 30 type guy here uh, that could hopefully hit like in the minors, hit for 280 most of the time. Give me 270 like he did last year. We're talking, we're looking for the upper, upper echelon in production here from Oscar Mercado, but it's definitely possible if, if things were running right in Cleveland, you give him 150 games or so, we could see 20-30 with a great – and if that's the case, his runs are going to go up to 100 probably and, and be quite productive. So really, really risky upside play, but Oscar Mercado would be my guy in round 10. Yeah, he's been the
2: one that I haven't – I don't know if I have any shares yet, uh, but kind of coming around on Mercado, I do think, like you mentioned, the upside pretty high for him, the playing time not in question. I, I do have uh, some concerns of just about his kind of like general hitting ability. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's hard to find steals uh, this late in the draft and he can provide them without hurting you anywhere else.
1: <laughs> that, that's my thing because I was not on him at first. It's taken a while for me to come around yeah. to him, but I, I see the steals appeal that, yeah. that interests me. Uh, round 11 now, we got Shogun's Otani, Lance Lynn, Michael, Conforto, Contreras, Gallen, Bumgarner, Escobar. Uh, Hector Neris, Michael Brantley, Max Freed, Kevin Bichia, and Elvis Andrus. Uh, quite the grouping here. What do you like for round 11?
2: We've got Zach Gallen here. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not alone in my Zach Gallen love. I believe we may have talked about him a little bit on our previous yeah. pod. Uh, but just a, a pitcher that I, I really believe in with the Diamondbacks. Uh, had pretty sick numbers in the minor leagues for Miami. I don't know why the Marlins traded him to Arizona. I questioned it at the time. I question it even more now after seeing what Gallen was able to do in Arizona, a really good four pitch mix, incredible changeup. I like all four of his pitches, frankly. Uh, I just think he's, he's going to be awesome. He threw 170 combined innings last year across uh, the minors and then with Miami and Arizona. So I don't think there's any limitation there uh that very factor was one of the things that led me to getting so much Shane Bieber last year where you know you look at the major league innings and it wasn't a ton in 2018 but if you combined all his stops there was no reason why Bieber couldn't be a full go for Cleveland in 2019 we saw that he pitched I think 215 innings I see a lot of similarities between Zach Gallen and Shane Bieber and, you know, if Gallon's going to pitch like Shane Bieber did last year, you're getting an enormous return at uh, pick 125 here.
1: Yeah, I, I like Gallon quite a bit. I think he's going way too well. Kevin wrapped my head around that at all. Uh, the guy I'll pick is Kevin Beegeum. We hit on him earlier. Yep. He's one of those guys that it's just going to take a minor tweak, and maybe it doesn't happen this year, but it's going to happen eventually. He strikes out almost 29% of the time. But you're finding a kid, we talked about Soto's plate discipline. BGO also walks 16.5% of the time. Like I really need to dig in more of how many of those strikeouts were looking. Cause he's trying to work the count as much as he did. Was he was maybe he needs, needs to get more aggressive at the plate, be those first, first pitch fastballs or something, jump on those because a 9% barrel rate, a 44% sweet spot, a 40% hard hit rate for a kid of his, is ilk is outstanding. The power is legit. He's got speed He had 16 homers and 14 steals in uh, hundred games last year. So you start just you know putting those out there. He's got twenty twenty upside. If you can just Im- improve the average a little bit, it goes through the roof. Especially hitting second there after Bichette and in, in front of Vlad and company. There's a lot to like there with Bichette. We hit on him quite a bit already, but he would be my guy in round eleven. a right. uh, yeah.
2: couple more. Thugs. He's a he's a really crazy player. Like you look at the strikeout rate, but like a lot of the the underlying metrics don't really support a high strikeout rate Uh, in in, an ozone out of the zone chase percentage, swing percentage of of a 15.8%, which is like the lowest mark basically in the majors last year. So he doesn't chase outside of the zone. Like for instance, Mike Trout, Alex Bregman uh, two players who, you know, just have an incredible eye. Bregman was at 19% trout at 20%. And again, Biggio down at 16% chase rate, didn't even swing and miss that often, Uh, 8.7% swinging strike rate, which is really low. So basically, you know, he was, he was way too passive, right? Like, like you mentioned a bunch of like a, a huge percentage of his strikeouts. I don't have the number in front of me must've been looking like, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of like almost led the led baseball in terms of percentage of looking strikeouts compared to overall strikeouts for him. So I, I think Biggio is, you know, kind of a, a mindset, um, You know, if he can attack early I, I think he's very, very close to a true breakout So I love the Bijou call here
1: <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a lot to like there. Just be more aggressive in the zone Keep the power It could be really, really fun yep. let's, go to round, let's go to round 12 You got Danny Santana Danellison Lamette Tommy Edmond Kyle Schwarber Max Kepler Marcelo Guise, Glacius, Eduardo Rodriguez David Dahl Craig Kimbrell Nick Anderson Brandon Workman And Gavin Lux There's a couple names out here Who is your main target?
2: It got to be Gavin Lux for me. Obviously, going kind of going with a lot of um, of youngsters here, but but Gavin Lux, another guy. If you look at the minor league production from him with the Dodgers, uh, just an incredible hitter for his kind of age-adjusted minor league production. Um, the, the one concern for me is he, he does have some pretty big splits. Like he wasn't nearly as good against lefties in the minors as he was against right-handed pitching. So I could see a you know potential. Platoon for Lux, they've obviously got guys like Kiki Hernandez, Chris Taylor there who can certainly fill in. And and Lux wasn't super great in his, uh, you know, brief 82 plate appearance stint with the Dodgers to end last year. But uh, I, I believe in the talent here. He's, you know, he's ranked top five prospect basically by everybody. Um, And I think, you know, the potential for Gavin Lux, like last year, you know, across two levels at double A and triple A hit like, you know, like 350, 26 home runs, 10 steals, and uh, just over 500 plate appearances. I think he's a 300-plus potential hitter with with power and some speed in a great lineup. Um wouldn't be surprised to see a monster year out of Gavin Lux.
1: Yeah, as long as that playing time stays there, that's a big, yep. big season in line for Gavin Lux. I so don't hate that at all. Uh, my guy will come to no surprise to the listeners, Kyle Schwarber. I am in love with this guy this year especially if he he's getting drafted. And if he hits fourth in this lineup, I'll be a big, big fan. But um, he hit 38 home runs last year in 155 games. Finally had a big season out of him. Maybe moves to the cleanup spot, which would be even even better. But um, he's going to help you in three to four categories at this point in the draft. I, would, I like a lot. He outperformed all his X stats last year by a decent margin. His hard hit rate last year was over 51%, which is asinine. That is just ridiculous to do over a 155-game sample. 14.5% barrel rate, but he's been at least 12.7 or better for three straight years. Again, barrel's one of the stickiest stats you can find, so I take a lot of uh, value in that. And then you look at his max exit velocity the last three years, eighth, ninth, twelfth in all of baseball. So, like, Stan needs to live and start out of the baseball consistently. Um, I'm a big fan of what we saw, the gains in the second half, even against lefties, started hitting them even better, and that got him, I think, more consistent playing time because he's not as much of a defensive uh, problem either. So David Ross will run him out there. I'm a big fan of Kyle Schwarber. I you know, he's not gonna help you a ton in, in steals, obviously. Average, if he can get you to two sixty-five, you'd be pumped. But uh power wise, he legit has like forty-five plus home run power, which will result in RBI's and runs going up. So I am a big fan of Kyle Schwarber going into the twenty twenty season.
2: Yeah, I love it. it. Does seem like a, a ceiling year from, you know, career year from Kyle Schwarber is coming. Would make a lot of sense for this, uh for it to be this year. So yeah, I love the Kyle Schwarber call. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, we head to round 13, and we have Byron Buxton. Everyone's sleeper every year. Uh, Jul- <laughs> yeah. Julio Urias, Alex Colomay, Yasiel Puig, Fran Reyes, Will Smith, uh, the pitcher Will Smith, Kyle Tucker, Will Smith, the catcher, Hung Jin Ryu, Corey Seager, Hansel Robles, Jose Leclerc. I'm pretty sure there's really one answer here, but there might be two. Who are you taking?
2: I'm going Kyle Tucker. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, kind of an easy call, but – Why isn't Will Smith dropping in in ADP? Like, he's not even the closer for the Braves.
1: Don't. I've been wondering that for so long. His stuff might be better than Lance's, but, yeah, he's not closing, so I don't get it at all.
2: Yeah, it makes no sense. Uh, But, anyway, back to Kyle Tucker. I mean, just kind of waiting for the Astros to unleash this guy. Uh, I assume it's going to happen this year. Josh Reddick was was pretty abysmal last year, and I could, you know, kind of at the tail end of his career – could see him falling off in a big way. Um, for whatever reason, the Astros don't seem to love Kyle Tucker. Uh, you know, obviously it was kind of surpassed in the prospect list pecking order by Jordan Alvarez last year, but you just look at what Tucker has done uh, spent the last two years in triple a for the Astros 2018 over what? 465 plate appearances. So not even a full season hit 332 with 24 home runs and 20 steals. And then last year in AAA, again, kind of repeating the level, average dropped to 266, but 34 home runs and 30 steals over uh, 536 plate appearances. And then, you know, with the Astros, when they called him up, he, he performed well, right? Hit 270 with four home runs and five steals. So he did continue to run when he was called up by the Astros. That was in just 72 plate appearances. You know, it's it's one of those guys, like, we don't know if he's, if he's going to play every day, but you would assume he will eventually take that role. Um he just has so many paths to playing time, right? Like one, mm-hmm. he could just be the everyday starter off the bat. Like I wouldn't be shocked at all if that's what the Astros choose to do. But he's also just an injury away from, you know, one of Brantley or Springer or Reddick or Reddick underperformance or a Guriel injury or underperformance or a Jordan Alvarez injury. Um, so you know, there are five or six paths to full-time playing time there plus the probability that he is just the the outright starter because he, he earns a job or whatever. So uh, I think he's worth the risk considering he could give you a – I mean, I think a 30-30 season is at mm-hmm. least possible for him, which is just – would be incredible, incredible value this late in the draft.
1: Yeah, a 13th rounder getting you 30, 30 – heck, a 13th rounder getting you 25-25 would be yeah, exactly, yeah. crazy. And, yeah, last year between AAA and the bigs, 38 homers, 35 steals – um 107 runs 108 rbis that's pretty darn good <laughs> so uh, I, i'm with you that, that's the guy I could, when i was going when i was reading off the list i'm like there's pretty much one answer here it's kyle tucker because even if he maybe he has to wait a month like he's going to be the fourth outfielder you mentioned all the scenarios that could lead to playing time maybe he waits a month he gets his shot and he just doesn't give it back even after a month he's got 25 25 so The dude's going to be outstanding. And he did that last year. Those numbers last year 147 games. So it wasn't even a full season, technically. So, yeah, Kyle Tucker, pretty pretty simple in that one. 100% with you on that. All right. The next set here for round 14, Carlos Santana, Malik Smith, Kyle Hendricks, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Scott Kingery, Salvi Perez, Yuli Gurriel, Robbie Ray, Archie Bradley, Garrett Hampson. So this is a – very, very interesting range, and actually, I have two more to read: David Price and Matt Boyd. Told you, my math will get tested eventually. Um, <laughs> so there we go, round fourteen. There's a couple ways you can go here. I'm curious to see who you pick.
2: Yeah, the, the, not not the most upside in the world here. Um, you got Guriel and Kingery, kind of the, the younger guys. Uh, I actually went with Salvador Perez, and you know, you kind of have to take the caveat that he's a catcher, so. Upside is kind of limited everywhere, right? Like no catchers really have huge upside, but I do think he has a lot of upside compared to the other players at his position. Obviously missed all of 2019 with the ACL injury, the knee injury. Um, But like prior to that, you look at the numbers, Salvador Perez put up for the Royals really, really good production basically each and every year. One of the guys, one of the catchers that kind of plays uh, almost every day, almost like a, a Joe, um, yeah, a real Muto-esque. Um, and obviously coming off the knee injury, you're a little bit concerned. But I think i will see they're talking about using him at first base. Um, you know, he could play some DH if, if Jorge Soler can play in the outfield a little bit more. So I do think there are paths to uh, more playing time uh, than a typical catcher. He's going to be hitting, what, cleanup? Probably third or fourth every day in that lineup. No lower than fifth, I wouldn't think. So I think Salvador Perez, I guess kind of a, an unsexy pick, if you will, for an upside draft. But I don't love the other options around. I do think Salvador Perez could easily be a, a top three catcher at year's end.
1: Well, I guess I can have you back on the show again because I, I'm not picking Salvador Perez here, but everything you said, I 100% agree with. He's my favorite catcher per price point. I guess if yeah, you want to yep. break it down, like I absolutely love Perez. I've wrote a, I've written about him in like three different spots already this year. He is a guy I'm going back to, and people like his price tag is because people are really worried about his acl injury or not his acl his tommy john injury or no it was acl my bad acl injury but i'm trying to explain to people he's a catcher he's gonna be just fine like let's just get over that real quick they already say yep. he's about to be 100 percent by the season's end um I, i'm not worried about you. you're not looking for him to steal bases so you're gonna be just yeah, fine. I mean, he's, he's super slow anyway i don't think it's gonna yeah, affect you. He's, <laughs> he's not gonna affect you there so uh what he does is so consistent it's amazing so yeah i love that call there For me, this is a total – it's kind of like the Lou Bob idea, Um, the ceiling on the floor being so far apart because he could literally go back to the minors and lose his playing time. But I'm going Scott Kingery if I'm going to pick one guy here. Yeah, I've actually snagged him in a couple leagues for the upside. Like, you know, we talked last episode. You'll take one or two upside guys on your team that you know you might have to drop. Kingery is one for me. Like, I'm not reaching for him, but if it falls right, I'm there. If I'm looking for a, a third baseman or a certain position late because it happened to change in the draft, I don't mind Kingery. He legit, in 126 games last year, 19 homers, 15 ribbies. He's a guy that's running the minors this whole time. The power continues to develop as he comes to the big. bigs. Uh, one thing I like to remind people of is the Phillies, you know, what the Braves and the White Sox have been doing of late by signing these young guys, the Phillies did with Kingery. It just kind of got overlooked because he was so bad and went back to the minor leagues. Yep. So. They paid him for a reason because they believe in his talent. He's that good. And even last year in kind of a down season, he raised his barrel rate from 5.1% to 8%. That's why the power came up. It, the bouncy ball helped, of course. But that came up. His hard hit rate came up. All that good stuff came up. But his strikeout rate also improved. Or went up in the, in the wrong direction. If he can fix the strikeout rate, stay on the field. You know, Alex Baum's knocking on the door, but they say Baum's defense is not good. Kingery can play all over the diamond. Like they, They're talking about moving Segura around. They can move Kingery around just as much. So there's a lot of ways past the playing time for Scott Kingery to stay on the field. If he can give you 155 games, you have 25-plus homers, 20-plus steals, decent average and other counting stats. In the uh, 14th round, I will take that ceiling with Scott Kingery if it works out. Just remember, lots of risk as well as we talked about.
2: Yeah, I like the like the Kingery call, getting new power and speed. And he's clearly a guy who's still kind of figuring it out, right? I, I don't think mm-hmm. he knows, or, or maybe we you know, or he knows exactly what kind of player he's going to be. Like you mentioned, a a really high range of outcomes with Kingery, but you know, the the top of that range of outcomes is going to be a a really awesome season from Kingery. So I'm definitely on board with that.
1: All right. We're at round 15, our last round on tonight's show. And there's a lot, we could pick a lot of guys in this range. Uh, We'll start here with Willie Calhoun, Jorge Polanco, Kenta Maeda, Ian Kennedy, Herman Marquez, Sean Manaya, Chris Davis, J.D. Davis, Lance McCullers, Lorenzo Cain, Edwin, and Mike Minor. This has a lot of your guys in here from years past or currently. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of ways to go here. So who's your one guy?
2: I'm, I'm tortured here between uh, really two guys. Armand <laughs> Marquez, my my boy, uh, burned me last year, but I'm back on board. I, a lot of the underlying metrics for Marquez actually got better. Swinging strike rate was up. Still has uh, incredible slider curveball. Throws hard. Uh, They shut him down at the end of last year, but uh, I'm certain he's basically fully healthy going into 2020. Um, And, yeah, back back in. Last year I had to take him around pick, I think 80 was where he was going and was willing to pay that price. I don't – you know, Coors Field got to him last year, but he, he did at least not prove but show he is able to dominate in Coors Field. He did it at the end of 2018. I think he can get back to it. Uh, maybe another guy who was uh, a little more adversely affected by the new baseball. So if that reverts, I could see him benefiting from that. So I'm going with Armand Marquez back on board in 2020. And that means I have to leave J.D. Davis. <laughs> yeah, Surprise! Bubba, it
1: pains me. It pains me. I thought you were going J.D. I, saw, I thought you were. Um, I, those are two good options. A guy I really like that I'm not picking is Willie Calhoun. I think he could be in for yeah. a, a big, big year. That's why I really like this range. But my guy, and it, it's kind of in the same vein of your Salvi call, so maybe it's not as you know sexy as these young guys we're talking about. And please, no one clip that piece. Um, <laughs> uh, it's Chris Davis. Yeah. Hey, with the Chris Davis. People are going to look at last year's numbers, and obviously they are. That's why he's getting drafted where he was. But let's not forget, 48, 43, 42. Hit 247 all the time. 100 plus RBIs, 90 plus runs. Um he was really hurt last year. Like the wrist, the like side, the oblique, he was battling injuries all the way after like the first month, month and a half of the season. And they just wouldn't sit him at all. It was horrible to see it shows in his power numbers, you know, barrel rate dropped to 10.1, which is really, really good for anybody else, but that's his lowest by over almost 5%. So everything dropped hard hit, everything you could possibly want dropped down. He's going to be healthy. At least reports are he's healthy right now. You're getting him at a gift. Like, I love Nelson Cruz. Jordan is awesome. And so another reason he falls is because he's utility only. Yeah. Let's be real though, like on a on a good season with Chris Davis, he could probably equal Cruz. I think Jordan's got him in batting average, but these guys are gonna be very close, and then you do it by round by round basis. Chris Davis could bring a, a, a 40 plus home runs for crying out loud in round 15 it is really crazy. So I'm a big Chris Davis fan. Uh, he's getting very disrespected in drafts right now. But this whole 15th round right here, it's one of those where you almost like if you are a val- or a or kind of an upside drafter, like the whole point of this exercise, and when we're saying like in a couple of these rounds, there's three or four guys that we really liked, maybe pull them up around in some of these not so fun rounds and move things around when you draft. But yeah, Chris Davis is my guy. So what's your kind of overall thoughts on these first 15 rounds before we wrap things up?
2: You know, talking about these these picks with you, I think I got to do a draft where I just
1: <laughs> just, just all go, upside,
2: just go all upside, just just go for it all and 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 see what happens. Um, but yeah, uh, good talking to these guys, Chris Davis. Yeah, I'm on board with that one. Uh, it'll be interesting if you know. Just a question for you: if he starts off slow, right? If kind of the because mm-hmm. like the the underlying metrics for him last year were pretty ugly. Yeah. Like you mentioned, I think it's explainable. Basically, basically was battling injury all year. He could be a guy I could see moving on from relatively quickly if if you know the hard hit percentage and, and all that stuff is is it looks much lower again kind of looks like it did last year. So he's an interesting one for sure, but no question. forty plus homer upside at pick one seventy six realistic forty plus homer on upside., uh, tough to pass up on there.
1: yeah, it's one of those. like if you want to play it safe throughout your draft, but then you go, Okay, I'm gonna get Stanton in like round maybe I'll jump to round four to get Stanton. Sure. And then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna jump to maybe round thirteen to get Chris Davis. Okay, you've almost locked up hundred home runs right there. Now if you played safe everywhere else, your team's gonna look pretty on balance, just assuming those two things in general, between the power runs, RBIs that those three guys bring to the table. If you went and got some, you know, batting average and steals somewhere else, then you likely, if you're taking those gambles, you probably went a little more aggressive on your pitching. It's different ways to build your team, but that like little things like that go a long, long ways. So,
2: yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, if we're right on, you know, uh, even half of these guys, uh, Mm -hmm. they're going to return a huge value where they're being drafted. So uh, definitely, you know, keep in mind that upside, especially if you're competing for overall prize pools.
1: It's very, very big. But uh Peter, it was great chatting with you again. Uh, we'll do this again very shortly to get the next 15 rounds in the books. And then kind of the, maybe a fun exercise after that, if we want to keep going, is let's do the each guy we would not take in each round. Like I wouldn't touch this guy with a 10-foot pole in these rounds. But um, <laughs> like the all-downside team. But uh, there's, there's, there's lots of ways to go about it. But everybody, uh, why don't everybody know where they can find you and what you might be working on? Yeah,
2: check me out on Twitter at Draft Cheat. I think most of you can probably spell that one on your own. And uh, yeah, some uh, some news coming up for me shortly, so stay tuned uh, to the Twitter feed if you're interested. And uh, looking forward to doing the uh, the second half of of uh, of this draft, this all upside team. You know, I think the lower you get in terms of rounds, the farther you get away from the top of the draft. The more interesting it even gets. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's much more interesting, and it's a lot of Roger construction type plays. So, yep. uh, I think we're definitely going to have some fun with these bottom rounds. But yeah, for those obviously, go check out go check out Peter on Twitter at Drafty. I'm pretty sure if you listen to this show, you you follow him on Twitter. But uh, it's always a great follow, and hopefully, one of you guys can get him a, an opponent. He's he's dying to fight. So go find uh, <laughs> go find him an opponent because everyone keeps backing out, uh, scares go. him off of Twitter or something. But until next time, everyone, this was Bench with Bubba episode two forty nine. Dreaming of fantasy baseball upside with Draft Cheat. Thank you later.